welcome to episode 53 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're going to be talking about Cool Air. It's the first story from episode 12, season 2, and was originally broadcast on December the 8th, 1971. The uh, teleplay is by Rod Serling, but if the name sounds familiar, it's probably because it was based on a H.P. Lovecraft short story. And this story was directed by Jeno Swark. But first off, let's let Rod Serling introduce us. To the shoppers, the hunters, the sifters and the winnowers, to those of you who comprise that vast fraternity of picture watchers, we offer you this salon of the special and the supernatural. Painting number one. It has to do with death. Usually the last chapter in every man's book of life. The ashes and the dust, the tomb and the engraving on the stone. Death the finale. But our first painting offers up a tale with the final curtain, not quite the final curtain. There's an epilogue. We offer you now a little item called Cool Air. Tonight's first painting in the night gallery. Our story is set in New York in 1923. A man called Dr. Juan uh, Munoz is, um, well, he lives in a flat that he never leaves. But he has a visitor on this day. It's a woman. It's a daughter of an old colleague, a woman called Agatha Howard. She meets in the flat um, and the place is incredibly cold. There's a refrigeration refrigeration unit within it that hums day and night because our doctor has very unusual illness. If his body temperature is to rise over 50 degrees, he will die from his, uh, from his sickness. Agatha's there because um, her father and Juan uh, shared a fascination the possibility and the idea that a man could cheat death. Her father used to work on the cellular idea, working through the cell levels and trying to find a way that that would work. But um, Dr. Munez was far more interested in um, looking in the mysticism elements of stuff, the concept that a man could cheat death through willpower alone. Closeness forms between the pair, and even though she invites him to his house during the after the, after they after they chat for a while, obviously he can't go because he can't leave his uh, his his flat because of his, the issue with coldness and the refrigeration. But she decides to come back, and um, as before she leaves on that first time, she kisses her, his hand and resists the temptation to pull away despite the fact that his body is freezing cold. He's very much um, a guy, you know, the epitome of cold hands but a warm heart. The relationship grows though and slowly but surely uh, Agatha gets used to the cold. And we find out a few more tidbits of information about the Doctor. One is that his wife committed suicide 10 years ago. Um, and the, the closeness 
grows and grows and it becomes far more like a romance. Till one night, I forget a call from the doctor. It's a hot, balmy summer in the middle of a heat wave and the refrigeration unit that is keeping this flat cold has broken. And he is desperate and pleads for help. Yes? Agatha, please, please come immediately. Juan? What, what is it, Juan? I need you. Please, you must hurry. Juan? Juan? She goes to the apartment block um, and speaks to him through a crack in the door. She sees his face is covered in a, in a, in a robe and a, in a, in a duvet, a sheet, to protect himself, to try and keep the cold in, as it were. But he's desperate and he's frightened. She, he asks that if she could find a mechanic who could possibly fix this refrigeration unit. Unfortunately, however... She is, well, it needs a part, and that isn't going to be able to get done in the middle of the night. Our man asks for ice, so he can at least try and keep his body cold. But in the end, we find out in the next day when the ice man comes and delivers the year, uh, delivers it, that it's too late, and the damage has already been done and through the door in the bathroom our man with a very weak voice explains to Agatha exactly what has happened to him I've changed considerably in the past few hours (laughs) you remember what I was telling you about the will and the nerves how we could delay death even after the organs ceased to work it was an interesting theory but Unfortunately, only a theory. You see, dear Agatha, it can't keep up indefinitely. There is a gradual deterioration of the organs. However you preserve the other shell, the organs, they simply don't work again. The best I could hope for was for a kind of artificial preservation. Juan, 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 please. Let me finish. I mentioned my wife's suicide. Do you understand now why life became so unbearable for her? No, no, Juan, I don't understand. I only know that I must help you. Juan, you're not going to die. And I won't let you. You don't understand, Agatha. My wife committed suicide because she couldn't stand living... With a corpse. You see, my darling, I died that time ten years ago. His wife had committed suicide, and the reason why she committed suicide was simple. She had effectively now married a corpse. His body had died. Willpower was not enough, apparently, for it to work, his idea of extending life. 
and his only way to maintain it was to keep his body effectively refrigerated to try and preserve it. This happened 10 years ago. She then hears his body slump to the floor, bangs the door open to find not the middle-aged but attractive and wonderful man and quite suave gentleman that she knew and had shared dinners with, but instead a rotten, decomposed corpse. She screams and screams and screams. Then we return to 50 years later. An old woman, Agatha, doing her annual uh, reach to the cemetery to, uh, to visit to see this dead man. And on the, the epitaph on the tombstone is one that is very unusual. Born 1887, died 1913 and 1923. Okay, well, that's our story, and it, it's a brilliant one. It is an interesting mix of one as well. What uh, you have sailing and Jenna uh, uh, Swark with a very, um, you know, warmth and um, human story but also the Lovecraft horror element to it Salem did a brilliant piece with this absolutely fantastic particularly for this era um, they bring it's they bring um, Lovecraft's scare and like final horrifying denouncements to life but make it far more than just gruesome because you actually care about the characters a lot of this is done from a simple change in the story Salem is decides to replace the uh, narrator from being a scientist who is just interested in this man to somebody who is emotionally attached to him so we learn as she does but also at its heart beats a romance but also at its core is uh, Serling thinking about the afterlife he's not a man who is particularly a believer in um, in, in a life after death he's not a re- he was never a religious man and as such this comes across a little bit more in his writing I think in this about a man who tries to extend his life any means possible, clinging on to it, uh, very much like well, like any story of a man trying to cling on to life, but in this case with quite gruesome and ghastly results, and also as well this concept that a heart, well, to to cling on to life at any cost can also bring misery and death. The suicide of his first wife, and also the damage it does to Agatha. A woman who is, throughout the rest of her life of the next 50 years, haunted by this story. It's so horror, but it's also tastefully done. And that, of course, is the touch of Serling and Jenna Swark, who are able to give the story far more of a, you know, it, it, I, I, 
the huge portion of the story, it's a mysterious romance. You wonder exactly what the man's secret is. Um, it is also, well, for starters, it's a chain. Well, very much, in the same way that Pickman's model was for, for that guy was, was, was altered, this also had to be altered. And th- 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 that was the biggest change in it. Um, but also, it still has that Lovecraftian idea of a horror that is too unspeakable to, to see. And, you know, it's, it, it's something that Pickman's model struggled with as well. That something could be, you know, because the way you write, everything is the most just terrible thing to look at. Unbelievably disgusting to see and to visage. And in this case, they were able to an extent to just have a big shock and also the woman's reaction is able to make that work uh, probably better than in Pixman's model where ultimately you're still reliant on a man in a suit and that uh, that scream that scream that uh, Agatha has at the end really brings home the horror of what she's seeing there's also something a little bit darker by making it into a romance, there is there has to be a slightly more bleak interpretation of the romance between Agatha and the Doctor. For after all, Juan is now a, a corpse, and any romantic entanglement is without doubt necrophilic during their time together. And it's but it's it, it's tastefully done with a with a subtle subtext. The woman is damaged by the horror of what's happened, but it's not. It doesn't necessarily point out too too vividly that their you know romantic entanglement would be too graphic, as such. And say, but at its heart, because rather than it being the scientist and being a woman, and indeed a romance, there is that just that little slight edge of unease of something very wrong in the back of the mind. It's um, a story then also not just about, well, with the necrophilia and stuff like that. It, it, it is, you know, could be easily seen as a story about perversion. But in this case, it isn't. It's really more about loss and love that's gone. Um, this is almost entirely, well, the reason this works so well in this story, I think, is not just Serlin's script, which goes between, you know, romance. And also these, like you know, it, it's bookended by very colourful, beautiful, poetic, romantic, almost gothic romantic language, um, closer to an Edgar Allan Poe than possibly a Lovecraft in that sense, at, at the beginning and end. But also because Swark's amazing direction, and for that matter, Joseph Elvez's fantastic set design. The, the decision was made not to have the um, the room too cold. It there wasn't like a it's not uh, an exorcist style, you know, breath and everything's cold and white. Instead, the room is very warm. It's kind of it's there's lots of antiques. It's almost Victorian, in fact, in its design. And it's also very very um, it's also very beautiful. A man's room, but filled with lovely rich warm things you know red leather and stuff like that and dark heavy wood and you know mahogany and oak to kind of bring a warmth into the into the set design 
as well. Our actors, the two main, uh, our two main actors in the piece, um, Barbara, Barbara Rush and Henry Darrow, also managed to give the piece a, um, a, a fitting romance, a fitting love story. It's, it's, it's their closeness to each other which really works in that sense. Um, without their emotional entanglement, it would never work together as a story at all. But because a beating heart is this, is the, is, is, is the love story, and, and they play it so well, when we actually reach the, the moments of horror, they're far sadder and far more tragic. Swark manages to create a sense of a swirling romance. The camera dances around these two as they love each other. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very beautifully shot piece. I mean, it's, it's, it's 25 minutes long and a fair chunk of it is actually this romance. And it's, it's wonderfully put together. The camera kind of dances around them and, it, it, you know, there's a lightness and, a, and an excitement to it as well. What I'd say finally is as well that the corpse is surprisingly gory. We were talking about The Dear Departed last week, which was um, the... Our, our man's mate, it was cut. Well, not last week, the week before last, actually. Because um, well, uh, the Joe uh, Joe's makeup was that it was just a, like a green face rather than something far more gruesome. And I think the reason for that is, you know, was because of TV censorship. It just proves goes through exactly how far they could have actually gone. In truth, for a lot of this kind of makeup. Um, you know, it's really, it's, you know, it's a decaying corpse and uh, I think if you were a little bit younger you would probably have quite a shock when you saw this for the first time. It is quite, but, you know, it, he's very decomposed, which is apparently what Geno Swark exactly wanted. I think part of the reason why they got away with it because was because they originally did a makeup actually using um, Henry Darrow's um, face. And they had like Alka Seltzer and like um, to like show it fizzing and bubbling away, to show that it's you know it's decomposing. Um, that, and at that stage, the network kind of freaked out a little bit and said, "You, you can't have that; it's too much." So the, the the what they got instead was actually something, although obviously a model was um, suitably gruesome, and I think it worked really well. Um, one little goof in the entire thing really that stands out. Um, as well, the, uh, the headstone has our man's name spelt wrong. It's spelled at the end with an S rather than a Z. But uh, we can forgive them for that, particularly when the narration over it is uh, quite so touching and sad. Yes, each year I visit his grave and I wonder if I'm mourning something that was or something that might have been. But I won't ponder the question. What might have been embraces elements of horror that could drive me insane. And as always, I find any icy draft of wind unbearable. It conjures up images, memories, remembrances of the nightmare. It's a funeral dirge that sings of death, and so I'll leave. Okay, so just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, first off, if you haven't already, well, considering the fact that I've spoken so much about how the text 
the original HP Lovecraft text contrasts with the actual scripts, but for this and Pickman's model, I thought it would be best, and also, you know, something you might be interested in, to create an ebook that's available now on the podcast feed and also on our website, www.twilightzonenetwork.com. It's a PDF format, so you can read. You don't need a Kindle or a Nook to read it. So, uh, although you know it, 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 it's suitable for tablet, desktop, and for, for your e-reader to read. Um, just a little opportunity, really, for you to take a look at it and uh, to compare and contrast. Um, I think you'll find that both stories for Night Gallery, I think, have a lot more warmth to them than the original Lovecraft tales. Although both those stories, Cool Air and Pickman's Model, are both classics. But anyway, if you want to download that, it'll, uh, it will either have already popped up on your podcast uh, catcher, or indeed you can uh, you can download it from the website. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do. At uh, well, the easiest way is through our website www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. Uh, you can leave a message on any of the articles there, or you can go to our Facebook. There's a link there, which is, uh, and also our Twitter, which is Twilight Zone Net. Or you can email me direct, Chris, at thetwilightzonenetwork.com. If you want to have a quick chat with me, I'm always on Twitter at, at orange underscore monkey. Nah.